the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should Christians attend a transgender wedding? And then, what does it look like to live a questionable life? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Tuesday afternoon. It's been good to have you with us. If you've missed any of the show, go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. All right, Alistair Begg, we've had him on the show before. He is a part of the Salem um, team here. His his program, Truth for Life, is on regularly on AM 1160. Many of you listen to it. Uh, I have a huge amount of respect for Alistair Begg, A, because he has the greatest accent in the world. But also, Alistair Begg, I remember being uh, – years ago, I remember being at a camp – we used to go to a place, my family did a place called Camp of the Woods up in upstate New York. And I remember they would have chapel. And I remember one year we were there, at least one time, Alistair Begg was the speaker for the week. And I don't know, it was one of these things that hit for me because I was a young age, uh, you know, junior high or something. So I don't know why it stuck with me. But I remember he preached the whole week on on the book, uh, on the passage in Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I remember being, even at that younger age, being convicted by it, just... um yeah, being convicted by it. Uh, and so, um, Alistair Bay, huge, huge, uh, respect for him. Now, he, for the first time that I could ever remember, got himself into a little bit of hot water that I want to unpack a little bit. And it was on his radio show last week, uh, where he was asked a specific question. Uh, it says this. I'm going to read to you from Owen Strachan. He says, recently, Alistair Begg caused an earthquake in the Christian world. The Scottish preacher shared on his radio program that he had been asked by a godly grandmother about what to do regarding a transgender wedding. Her question, should she attend it or stay away? On his program, Begg rightly made sure, this is Strachan's word, to check that she saw, quote, transgender identity as unbiblical, which his many followers would expect. I'll quote that section. So now he's going to quote the section. Let me just read. I know this is, we don't normally just read from it, but I want you to get the full context of what Alistair Begg said. Uh, Alistair Begg, this is Alistair Begg's talking. He says, in very specific area, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time along the lines of my grandson is about to be married to a trans- transgender person. I don't know what to do about this. I'm calling to ask you what to do. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, and people may not like the answer, Beg says, but I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your belief in Jesus? She said, yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance in any affirming way the choices he's made in his life? She said, yes. What he said next, however, has sent the shockwaves. He said, well, then, okay. As long as he knows that, then I suggest that you go to the ceremony and I suggest that you buy them a gift. 
Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. Beg then elaborated. He said, well, here's the thing. Your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything. And it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is, he goes on to say. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and who don't understand that he is king. That's kind of where they cut it off here. So he dives in here to the question. This grandmother says, I think grandson. So understand the, the the relationship here. This is a grandson who is transgender and getting married to transgender wedding. What do I do, Pastor uh, Beg? The question was. And I think it has really thrown people that Alistair Begg said, make clear what you believe and then go to the wedding. Uh, Owen Strachan, who we've quoted before here, uh, takes Alistair Begg to task. Uh, he says, uh, we should not attend compromised, quote, wedding ceremonies. The Bible does not technically address so-called transgender ceremonies, so let that be said, nor is staking a wrong position on this issue akin to unpardonable sin. Uh, he parentheses adds, we who seek to be convictional should be careful about such a hasty conclusion. With these caveats stated, though, he said, I believe that Begg's counsel is unsound. Christians should not attend transgender ceremonies, he says, to explain why uh, I'll make some swift cuts to follow. So he's going to go through a bunch of things and he's going to lay out uh, what marriage is and all of these things. So this you could take out transgender wedding here and put in um, a homosexual wedding or whatever else. But uh, Owen Strachan, let me give you my thoughts. Owen Strachan concludes this way. The matter surveyed here is not small. It is not a tempest in an evangelical teapot. It is a serious matter indeed. Simply put, the line on Christian participation in ungodly ceremonies cannot move. Like the men at Lot's door in Sodom, we are urged with great intensity to cave here, but we cannot do so. The church cannot capitulate to the culture. In love, we must take our stand and not give the devil the foothold he so desperately wants. Okay, so Owen Strack could say, no, you can't go to that ceremony. Okay, so what, what do we think? What do you think out there? Would you go? Here's some caveats I would make on this. One, I think Alistair Begg is right to say, make sure they know what you think. Have that conversation. Two, I think the relationship matters here. Uh, it's the grandson. So uh, if it were my family member who I love deeply and they asked me to come, I would tell them I'm not going to take part in the ceremony. You're not going to ask me to do the wedding, uh, but I'll come because I love you. Does it mean I'm, I'm, I'm condoning it or I am affirming it, but I'm affirming my love for you. And that's why I'm here. So that's what I would do. I would side with Alistair Begg here and I would say go. As long as you've had that conversation with your loved one up front. And the level of relationship for me is going to determine the level to what I'm, I'm willing to do. This is a grandson who knows what his grandmother thinks. And I think you need to be there. Secondly, what I would say to Owen Strachan and others who want to lay the stake in the ground here is then lay the stake all the way. 
What I mean by that is I don't think you can justify going to uh, the wedding of non-Christians then or one Christian and one non-Christian, whether they're heterosexual or not. I think this calls into question whether you would go to the wedding of a divorced person, a second marriage, let alone a transgender wedding or a same-sex wedding. I would just challenge consistency on this one. I can respect Owen Strachan's stance here. I do. I totally get it. And in many ways, I would make the same sense in the stance in the sense of I would probably not allow this to be in our church. Uh, I wouldn't do the wedding, these types of things. But I think where this becomes uh, challenging is to say, what then are you willing to what are what else are you willing to say? No. What about a fa- what about a couple that lives together? Are you going to go to that wedding? Uh, that you know is sleeping together before they're married. Are you going to go to that wedding? What I would challenge is just be consistent. And I know a lot of you disagree with me. You're like, I would never step foot in that wedding. I totally get it. I think to me, the level of relationship here, being that that it is uh, a grandson and a grandmother, I think says, I'm going to be clear with what I believe. And then out of love for you, I'm going to stand with you, even though we're on opposite sides of this. I get it. You may disagree with that, but I think that's where I would land. And if you land opposite, then I would encourage you to be consistent. It's easy to say, I'm not going to the same sex wedding. I'm not going to the transgender wedding. Uh, Shame on you. Understand what other marriages would the Bible call into question? What other ceremonies should we have problems with? Uh, and, And ask yourself that question. All right. A difficult one. I, I appreciate Alistair Begg diving into it. Uh, but yeah, I know that that was one that is across the board. All right. I want to lighten the mood a little bit. Coming up, there is a new game show that's coming out centered on a restaurant that many of us grew up loving. I'm going to share that story with you next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, if you've missed any of the show, including Michael Ware being on earlier to talk about his new book, The Spirit of, of Your Our Politics, or the conversation we just had about Alistair Begg and the question of should you attend a family member's transgender wedding? Small topics here on The Common Good today. Uh, I would encourage you go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. I would also love to hear back from you. Like, what do you think about what we're talking about? What What are your thoughts? We would love to hear back from you as well. All right, but let's lighten the mood a little bit. Talked a lot of politics. Talked a lot of difficult conversations. Reading this at Relevant Magazine. A Chuck E. Cheese adult game show is really happening. I'll let that sink in for a second. Chuck E. Cheese, every 90s kid's ultimate birthday party spot, that is truth, is inspiring an unexpected new television competition show. Fully grown adults will compete in pairs playing outsized versions of games from the restaurant, including pinball, air hockey, alley roller, and the human claw. The competitors with the most tickets will have the chance to exchange their tickets for prizes off a massive version of the iconic Chuck E. Cheese prize wall. Think of Netflix Squid Game, but with less death 
and more animatronic animals. Now, the production company is no small production company behind it. They're the same production company behind Top Chef and Nailed It. Uh, and they're, they're called Magical Elves. They're developing the series. And they said this, Chuck E. Cheese is the place where a kid can be a kid. But as grown adults, we still have dreams of ruling the arcade, taking on the iconic games that we love. We're excited to celebrate these legendary arcade games, plus the best of today, all with a supersized twist. So here's the question. Would you partake in this game? Obviously, I think we all would. How awesome would this game be? Life-sized, adult-sized inspired by Chuck E. Cheese. I'm in. Now, I don't know. Once my kids hit a certain age, I was like, I'm done with Chuck E. Cheese. Like, if you've if you've been away from Chuck E. Cheese for a while, I would encourage you uh, with kids, go back there and try the pizza again. No good. No good. It is not what you remember as a kid. Also, a little bit of a shady place. I remember years ago hearing stories about uh, you know, we read a story once where somewhere Chucky was arrested or this, that. you're like, oh, okay, maybe we know more now than, than need be. There's more types of places like it, but there certainly is nostalgia if and when you go back to Chuck E. Cheese. So uh, I, for one, am going to enjoy watching this show. And if I could be a part of it, I would choose to be a part of it in a heartbeat. What would that be like? Chuck E. Cheese, uh, Chuck E. Cheese adult game show. Like, what's the human claw? Is it literally like the claw machine, but you're wrapped up and tied up? Or you're reaching in. Like, what's skee ball? Is it just normal skee ball? Or is there so- there's got to be something to it that I'm, I count me in on, on this. Count me in on this. Okay, another restaurant theme story Applebee's. $200 weekly date night pass sells out in one minute. A $200 weekly date night pass offered by Applebee's that included up to $30 in food per week for a year sold out on Monday in just one minute. The date night pass gives up uh, to $30 discount on food and non-alcoholic drinks 52 times between February 1st and January 31st. The pass can only be used once per 24-hour period. The demand was so high that the restaurant website temporarily crashed when the passes went up for sale. Apparently, according to Applebee's website, the number of passes available for purchase was extremely limited. The company's not said how many They said this, if we've learned one thing from our Applebee's date night pass, it's that our guests are hungry for date night at Applebee's, the spokesperson said. We're looking for, uh, always looking for ways to make date night special for our guests. Thank you to our fans for their interest. The response far exceeded our expectations as the passes sold out in one minute. Many users on social media were disappointed in the limited availability, which said the restaurant said was worth uh, up to $1,500. Now, the most recent post on the restaurant's Twitter site account is filled with users who are upset that they were not able to purchase one. So uh, good idea, good marketing. I'm not sure the execution worked out well, but it raises an interesting question. Would that be worth it for you? 
I'm trying to think if I were to suggest to my wife a weekly date at Applebee's, how would she respond to that? I went home yesterday was my anniversary for our anniversary. I had said to Carrie, hey, I got us the greatest gift in the world. Applebee's $30 at Applebee's every week for a year. See, I think my wife is the type that she would have been excited about that, even though she doesn't really like Applebee's. I think it's the freedom from having to pay for it that allows for their to be excitement, but I could be a hundred percent wrong. Like if I asked my wife to list even her favorite kind of chains that that would fall in line with Chili's, Hula Hands, uh, TGI Fridays, Applebee's, Ruby Tuesdays, like those are all kind of the same type of restaurant to me. I'm pretty confident for my wife, Applebee's is going to be near the bottom of that list. So the question, and I wonder how would you answer that question? Would you be excited to have this because of the savings? Or would you be bummed because it meant you had to eat at Applebee's once a week? And would you actually go there once? I totally would. I would be like, we are locked in. We're going to Applebee's every week. And I wonder where for you out there, Where's too much? Like if McDonald's was one free meal, a date night a week, would that be exciting? Or is it like, well, it's McDonald's. If it was, you know, something else, what would it go? So free, well, not free. You've paid for it in advance, but $30 at Applebee's. So it's a $1,500 value for 200 bucks. I'm in. I think I would have been in on this, but here's what Applebee's knows. They know a lot of people would have done it. I'll bet you they sold uh, they they have made very few of them available. But hey, that's why you're marketing. It's why you're hustling. You're trying to do it. Applebee's. Now I'm hungry. I would go to Applebee's right now if I could. All right, coming up next, the questionable life. What does it look like to live a questionable life? Uh, there's a review of a new book out by Matthew Anderson that asks that question. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today uh, on a Tuesday afternoon. If you've missed any of the show, go get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at common good talk. We've had a great show so far today. Hope you've been able uh, to uh, to enjoy it. You've been able to, um, yeah, just be a part of it. And so we're, we are thankful for each and every one of you listeners, whether it's on the radio or on the podcast, let us know that you are out there. We're glad to have you with us. All right. The questionable life. What does it mean to have a life that invites questions? And I want to talk about this in a couple different ways. This was got into my mind by a book review at the Gospel Coalition reviewing Matthew Lee Anderson's book called Called Into Questions. Called Into Questions. Uh, so I want to tackle this on two different levels. The first is this. Do we as individuals or we as churches invite questions uh, in the sense of uh, people being confused or people being 
um, oh, I'm not confused, but are we okay with people asking questions about their faith or does that unnerve us? For instance, uh, are you good if somebody in your church says, I don't really understand or no, not even understand. I'm not sure that I follow, uh, you know, justification by faith. Can we discuss it? Does that make you nervous or is that like, yes, we're diving into the faith. Let's do this. Uh, you know, another example, maybe it's a social one. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm learning about the faith. I'm doing this. Uh, I want to talk about LGBTQ issues and in relation to our faith. Can we ask those questions? See, here's why a lot of us shut those down is because we're like, I need to therefore know the answers. And I don't know that that's the case uh, in this review. The review is done by Andrew Spencer. Uh, he says this, orthodoxy is fierce and electric. Far from protecting it, we should be examining it, pushing on it, and allowing it to push us back or to push back on us. It also says this. Bad questions often distort reality. In contrast, good questions lead towards truth. They often do so through doubt. For some reason, we as Christians, we do not like to uh, acknowledge that people have doubts, that we have doubts, that we have questions. Like if you're thinking to yourself, I have no questions about the faith, then your faith is limited. Your faith is too small. Uh, the concept of God, almighty God, creator of the universe, should raise questions in us. The concept of um, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, the idea of creation and the idea of, of uh, eternity should raise questions for us. And the question then becomes, do we set up ways that it's okay for people to ask questions? Have we set up ways in our churches or in our own lives that we can ask questions? Like, can I as a pastor in a radio talk show on a host on a Christian station go, I don't get the Trinity. Or, you know, what confuses me is uh, the concept of an eternal hell. What is that? What's the purpose? How does it actually play out and, and encourage people to ask these questions and to for yourself to ask the questions to then go on a on a on a journey to find the answers? Now you got to make sure you're reading the right people and, and you're kind of staying in the realm of orthodoxy. But when we don't ask questions, we're just lying. We all have questions. And are we willing to have a faith that's not small enough for questions, but the opposite, that's big enough for questions? And are we talking from our pulpits going, hey, push in, lean in, ask the questions, be honest about your doubts, be honest about your confusions? Uh, Andrew Spencer, while talking about this book, concludes, though this book doesn't provide all the answers, uh, Anderson plants the seeds of longing for a better posture toward the faith, one that asks healthy questions, which is at least a beginning. And don't you think that's a good thing? Friends, if you have a view of Christianity that says, I can never doubt, I can never question, I can never poke at it, then your view is too small. Jesus had disciples with doubts. 
Jesus was constantly asking questions. And these are the people who was wa- who were walking next to him. Our faith needs to be big enough to have doubts and questions and to ask those. The second way I want to take this is a whole different way. And that's this idea. Are you living a life that invites questions to ask it a different way? Am I leading a questionable life? I think we as Christians are called to live a questionable life. Now, what do we mean by that? What we mean by a questionable life uh, is one that looks so different that it causes people to go, why do you live that way? It's one that causes us to love our neighbors uh, in such a uh, a Christ-honoring way that causes them to go, I know nothing of your faith, but why do you live that way? It's one that causes us to reject sin and live in holiness in such a way that causes us to say, causes others to say, why do you live that way? That's the questionable life I'm talking about that then invites people into your life to ask their questions, to go, I don't know why, uh, why, what you believe. I don't even know if I agree with what you believe. But I'm intrigued by how you live. I'm intrigued by your marriage. I'm intrigued by how you parent. I'm intrigued by the difference I see in your life as your neighbor or coworker. I'm intrigued by the way you care for the least of these. I'm intrigued by the way you love the least. I'm intrigued by the way you show dignity and value to all people. I'm intrigued by the way you live on top of your convictions. I'm intrigued by your peace at times of great anxiety. Please tell me more. That's the questionable life. People outside the faith should be looking at the church and looking at Christians going, I don't know what I believe, but I know that I'm intrigued by that and that I want what they've got. Is that at all what our lives look like? That's been a challenge for me is to ask myself, is my life at all questionable? When my kids get outside the house and they're not around Christian people, do they go, oh, mom and dad do look different. We do things differently in our house. This looks different. When people look at my marriage, do they go, man, I'm not saying that their marriage is at all perfect, but I'm saying it looks different. They treat each other differently. And again, the way we treat other people, friends, we need a faith that, uh, causes people to ask questions, has, has that right? Tell me more about this. But we also need to live our lives in such a way that are questionable, that people say, I want that for my life. I don't know what they believe exactly. I don't know what I believe about that, but I want how they're living. I want what they have. Let me ask my questions. Let me question more. Well, coming up next, uh, Excited to be joined by Dr. Jeremy Scarborough, author of a new book called Disney and Apologetics. We are going to talk Disney with Dr. Jeremy Scarborough next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Absolutely. And we'd encourage you to join us again tomorrow. Hopefully you have a great and warm evening today. And join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.